Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. You've heard of no-till gardening. How about no-dig gardening? Or how to create a lasagna garden? Emily Murphy, she's the author of the book Grow Now, has those explanations. In our question and answer segment, one listener wants to know if it's too late to plant potatoes and how to prepare the soil for potatoes. Well, as we like to say on this show, it depends. Master Gardener Gail Pothauer has the answer with all the variables. And in a quick tip, we find out why you don't want to grow your fruit trees in the middle of your lawn. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. In a couple of recent podcast episodes, we talked with Emily Murphy. She's the author of the book Grow Now. Among the topics we covered included regenerative gardening and knowing your nature quotient, how better to understand the rhythms of your plants and how they grow and everything that interacts with the life of your plants. And that includes your soil. Because, as we're fond of saying here, a healthy soil leads to healthier plants. And one technique to improve the health of your soil is to forego rototilling, which does more damage than good to the underground biology of your soil. It's a technique called no-till, a practice that has taken hold in the world of agriculture, especially among producers of organic crops. But the practice of no-till isn't just for your bare ground. In this chat with Emily Murphy, she explains how this technique, keeping your soil undisturbed as much as possible, can be applied to your raised beds and container plants. She calls it no-dig, and she talks about a way to build your soil without having to purchase bags or yards of potting mix. It's called lasagna gardening. And the other, the other way to tackle no-dig is, is not just by growing in the ground, but it's also to uh, use uh, no-dig techniques in raised beds and containers. The idea there is that instead of sourcing soil, say for a raised bed, a larger bed, the, the typical rule of thumb is to use 50-50 compost to um, topsoil. That's kind of the general rule of thumb for filling raised beds. Uh, that's fine. Oftentimes, soil is sourced from places that have been excavated for building sites and whatnot, so it's it's already getting moved. But you know, when you think about it, soil does have to come from somewhere, and it's disturbing soil somewhere else where it's then, when it's excavated, releases carbon to the atmosphere, disturbs that soil ecosystem, which is valuable to wherever that soil came from. Instead of moving soil from one place to another also takes a lot of fossil fuels, right, to move a heavy load of soil. Instead, we can compost in place and use lasagna gardening or hugelkultur, which is a, a German word for layering organic matter, 
in place, sort of in situ, and planting in that. And I show how to do that and grow now. It's a really simple technique. It's the same technique I use to fill my raised beds. If anyone follows me on social media, you'll see the garden that I uh, built a year ago this month, and I filled them with this lasagna gardening technique, and it's composting sticks and twigs on the bottom. So you have your layer of browns, layer of greens, layer of browns. And I saved the fine compost for the um, top. Um, I did have to bring in compost because it was a new yard, new garden, and uh, I didn't have time to make any, but I sourced it locally. I'm really lucky. I have uh, West Marin compost is not far from here. It's about a mile away. I saved that fine compost for the soil surface and planted in it. And three months later, I had this incredible start of summer garden and you can plant intensively and it's so so simple and so empowering the technique technique you're right okay you don't want to wag your finger at someone say don't do that i agree but at the same time wow what a what a gift to be given to these techniques make it so easy and 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 immediately get get you off on the right foot towards success in those raised beds do you even have to fertilize the plants you know i didn't I, I didn't. And the only thing I do is I add this last year, I didn't, I added compost to a few places. Otherwise I put in a cover crop of fava beans um, where I wasn't growing greens. Uh, I will add a layer of compost with manures in it uh, this spring. And I'm in the process of doing that. I'm a little behind because of um, the re- release of Grow Now, Grow Now, now came out February 1st. And as you can imagine, it's been a wild ride with the bookmaking and with anything in your garden, you have to prioritize. You don't have time for everything. And I've decided to focus on, since I have the garden, the veggie garden in place, I decided to put most of my attention towards the rewilding project out front, knowing that I can get to the veggie garden with time because I'm in California and the growing season so long. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Well, the benefits of uh, just keeping applying the mulch like you do as it breaks down, it feeds the soil. And if it's one thing I say a lot on this podcast, uh, you're not feeding plants, you're feeding the soil, which in turn will feed the plants. And Absolutely. That's exactly what I say as well. And that's what I say in Grow Now. You're really feeding the soil ecosystem, which you'll read and grow now, part of the regenerative process is not just supporting biodiversity, but really beginning this decadal process of uh, pulling carbon from the atmosphere underground. What One of the studies I found so interesting when I uh, started writing Grow Now was the study out of UC Davis. It was a 20-year study looking at the reality of sequestering carbon underground. Can we really do it? Is it does it really work? Uh, do regenerative practices work to sequester carbon and sequester carbon at depth and sequester stable carbon. And they found over this 20-year study, yes, it does. And they found, yes, keeping living roots in the ground, um, which is a tenet of regenerative growing as well uh, with the use of cover crops is vitally important. And that supports biodiversity. It, it keeps living roots in the ground and, and those roots feed the soil as well through the root exudates, which is a big term, but it's described and grown out. But more importantly, it was the application of compost, of feeding the soil compost that really drove this carbon sequestration process. And what the writers of the research said was they said that it could even be a half an inch to an inch of compost over a landscape 
that has the power to sequester carbon. And when we when we approach our landscapes then with this layer of compost and a no-dig approach, we're able to maintain those carbon stores underground uh, in a stable fashion for, for many, many years. Now it can take time. It's, a, again, a decadal process, but it's possible. And the benefits are immediate because when we feed the soil, we're, again, we're feeding, we're feeding the biodiversity in the soil and the soil ecology, which then feeds our plants, helps us grow gardens much easier. Soil is doing much of the work for us, keep, keeping our plants resilient and feeds the, the ecology above the ground in, in many ways because there's this feed forward loop. So I would imagine, uh, it, since you talked about lasagna gardening, that this compost layer goes on top of your soil and then you're covering that with some sort of mulch in order to keep, uh, say, flying wheezy, weed seeds from germinating in that very fine compost. Absolutely. And the type of mulch you use depends upon what you plan to grow. So we were talking about rules of thumb earlier. The typical rule of thumb with the mulch you choose is is based upon what it is you're growing. So if you're if you're growing trees and shrubs, particularly native trees and shrubs, the idea is to mulch with uh, materials that are similar to that are you know mulch that's made up of materials that are similar to the plants you're growing. And so it can be more woody debris, leaves, as as the primary source of of compost making or mulch making. But with a veggie garden, you want to use a compost that is, or for a veggie garden, when you're prepping for a veggie garden, you want to use a, a compost that is more in keeping with the plants you're going to grow again. So a compost that's been made out of kitchen scraps, for instance, or kitchen scraps and leaves and other organic materials, that ha- a compost that has been fed kitchen scraps. And I, I think that's a pretty easy uh, parallel to follow when you're considering, well, which type of mulch should I use? And that's one place to start. And of course, whatever's local is also a really good place to start. Yeah, if it, if, exactly. If, yes. If you, if you can source it in your own garden or your neighbor's garden, if your neighbor has leaves, wonderful. Use those leaves. Which is why I use the oak leaves that fall every November and December in my neighborhood and, and grind them up either with my mower or with a string trimmer and place those on top of my raised beds for the winter. But before I put those leaves down, I put down a layer of worm castings directly on top of the soil and then top that with the oak leaf uh, mulch that's been uh, ground up. And you talk about in your book, too, in the book Grow Now, you talk about vermicomposting, basically making that compost you're talking about via the worms with a worm bin and also great instructions on even starting a compost pile as well. Now, you mentioned earlier that people can follow you on social media. We need to know where. Yeah, uh, people can find me, Emily Murphy, at Pass the Pistol, and that's P-I-S-T-I-L as in part of a flower. That's the name of my website, PassThePistol.com. And I'm primarily on Twitter and Instagram and um, sometimes on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, too. Um, I do have some Pinterest boards, uh, but I spend most of my time on Instagram and Twitter uh, talking about all of these these topics of growing and the power of growing and the benefits of growing, not just for our gardens, but for ourselves and uh, for growing resilient communities and uh, eventually then a resilient planet and a place for, for ourselves and our families and our children's children to enjoy and appreciate. And we should point out that the pistol you refer to, the P-I-S-T-I-L, is the female part of the flower. That's right. That's right. That was the play on words. My husband and I, years ago, when I started my blog, that's how I started. 
I thought, okay, I, I want to write a book one day. And to write a book, I have to start writing. And I, I started my blog for that reason, to give to give myself a, a, a challenge or the goal of, of writing something every week so I could improve as a writer. We, we were trying to think of, okay, if I were to have a blog, what would I name my blog? And it went back to, and I talk about this in my bio in my website, it went back to something my mom would say that I can't say on your podcast. It was uh, bleep or get off the pot. Yeah. And it was her, her way of saying, you know, if you're going to do something, just do it, just get to it. And I had been thinking about really wanting to return to growing. I, you know, I'd studied uh, ethnobotany, botany, as I mentioned earlier, but I spent a number of years after college teaching and I was a classroom teacher and I, I reached a point where I really missed working with plants more directly. I loved being a teacher. I learned so much from it. I think my years as a classroom teacher, um, I taught everything from eighth grade math and science to multi-age classrooms. But I, I, I think that those years as a teacher uh, really helped me take so many ideas and distill them into one book. And Grow Now is so full of a wide range of ideas and not just the how to, but the why to. And I think that does come from my, my background. But, um, but there was a time when I realized it wasn't enough and I'd had to get back to the plant world. And that's when I started my blog and I studied garden design. I went to the California School of Garden Design in the foothills uh, near Auburn, California, and learned so much there. And that was really my launch point. But past the pistol was my way of saying, okay, get to it, get to it now. If you're going to do it, you really want to do it, just do it and start somewhere. And this is how it evolved. Uh, grow what you love and pass it on. So grow what you love and pass the pistol, pass the flower and all that you grow and share it with others. Emily Murphy, the author of the book Grow Now has been with us. We've, we've covered a lot of topics and there you can find more information in her latest book, Grow Now, available wherever you find your books. Emily, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. Yeah, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly, not Smart Pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. 
Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Coming up in Friday's Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics, we listen to some of the things said that caught my attention from the last two Garden Basics podcasts that were released this week, episodes 184 and 185. In our chat with houseplant warrior author Rafael Delalo about cold climate houseplant care in 184, he mentioned that he grows tropical plants outdoors at his home in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, that caught my attention. In the newsletter, we hear how he goes about succeeding at that seemingly frustrating task. In episode 185, as you probably just heard, Emily Murphy talked about her new book, Grow Now. Here in the newsletter, we will find out the how and the why of her technique of matching various mulches to particular plants. Who knew? Sacramento County Master Gardener Pam Bone will give you a lot of good reasons not to plant a fruit tree in a lawn. You probably just heard that, too. But if you must, she has some ideas on how to do it successfully. It's another excerpt from the Garden Basics podcast in which we do a deeper dive in the Garden Basics Beyond Basics newsletter. Also, in the latest edition of the newsletter, I get kind of personal talking about this week's anniversary for me. The 10th year after quadruple bypass heart surgery and a diagnosis of full-blown diabetes. But you know something? I'm still going strong, thanks to working in the garden and growing the right high-fiber fruits and vegetables. And of course, riding a bike. Of course. Take a stroll through the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. Find a link in the podcast show notes or at gardenbasics.net. Click on the tab at the top of that page. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. And it's free. But you can subscribe. That's free, too. And share it with your gardening friends and family. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you for listening and reading. Yes, I was wondering about uh, something I read online. I'm planning to plant some potatoes. I'm a little late, so I became a little concerned when I read online that you have to prepare your raised bed a month ahead. I was just wondering, is that absolutely gospel? Can I plant sooner than that? I'm just using compost and a little fertilizer. I'm kind of double digging. I'm not using the rototiller, unless you think I should, but I... I'm trying to be gentle so I can plant sooner. I'd like to be able to plant in like a week. Is that possible? Thank you. Well, we just heard from Kat in Marysville, California, in the Sacramento Valley, north of Sacramento. Gail Pothauer is here, Sacramento County Master Gardener and vegetable expert. What about Kat and her potato bed? Do you need to prep that a month ahead? And she mentioned that she might be doing it a, a little bit late, too. Uh, here in our area of California, when is potato planting time? Kind of February, March. You can do it into April. It sort of depends on the variety you're growing, if it's an early season, late season. Um, the ones that we're growing at the Hort Center actually is a late season variety, 120 to 140 days. So we're going to be growing them through the heat of summer, which is not ideal for potatoes. 
they tend to suffer when it's so hot and dry. But the variety we have, you know, we can't plant till early March, and it'll probably be harvested in July or August. But you can still plant potatoes through, I'd say, mid-April, so about now, as long as it's a, not a late-season variety. All right, and what sort of bed prep do they need? Do you really have to start prepping the soil a month? Well, I was curious when I heard that, because I'm wondering if perhaps Kat read information about turning in cover crops. Maybe the this article related to cover crops, because you would want to get that turned under and wait a month before you plant it. Or if it was adding some manure, you would not want to plant, you know, prep the bed with manure and plant right away. You'd need to let it kind of decompose. So I don't know exactly what the article she read was about. In my home garden and here at the Horticulture Center, we prep the beds and plant right away. So the the fertilizer we use is a composted chicken manure that's 433 or 432. So it's um, already composted. We don't have any issues with burning the plants. Um, we had compost. And um, as long as you have friable soil, nothing too dense or, you know, clay-y, it should be fine. And I don't know that waiting a month is not necessary unless it's something that you added to the soil that needs to decompose first. Now you're growing all your potatoes here in either large containers or raised beds, so the soil is going to warm up quicker. Does soil temperature play a key in when you plant potatoes? It does, because um, if it's too cold, they might sit there and rot, you know, if, if it's wet. Potatoes are a cool season crop and they are sensitive to temperatures. So the ideal temperature for soil temperature for potatoes, I think, is like 50 to 80 with the optimum being about 60 or 65 degrees. One of the problems we're going to have is growing them through the summer. Our soil temperature is going to get a little hotter. So we'll mulch with straw, maybe provide some shade cloth, keep them evenly moist, not too wet because they can rot, but you don't want them to dry out. You start getting knobby uh, potatoes if they dry out and then you... You know, start watering them again. So um, soil temperature is critical. The air temperature is pretty critical. You don't want too cold. Um, as you can see, Fred, we had some really cold temperatures a couple nights ago, and so our potatoes got a little, little frosted, but they should be fine. Going through the summer, if it's too hot, provide some shade for them. What about the quality of the soil itself? Now, maybe Kat's problem there in Marysville, since it is a rice-growing region, maybe it's a heavy clay soil that stays too wet. I would think potatoes need good drainage. They do need good drainage because the tuber can rot. You're, with potatoes, you're planting a potato in the ground or a piece of a potato. It's not a seed or a plant. And if the soil is too cold and too wet, that tuber can rot before it starts sprouting and becoming a potato plant. So it's critical to have good drainage. We grow in um, wine barrels for good drainage or in raised beds. I do the same at my home because I have clay soil. So... Raised beds with good, good drainage is perfect for potatoes. You had mentioned in a conversation with me earlier that uh, you've been conversing with relatives or friends back east, and uh, they haven't even started planting potatoes yet, that their time is coming. That's correct. I have uh, in-laws in Wisconsin, and so they are probably thinking of planting potatoes about now, and they can definitely grow them through the summer without any problem. But here we, in the Central Valley, Sacramento Valley, we typically get them in the ground February, March, into early April, and that's about it. Or... You could do a fall crop, plant in August or so, and um, harvest some potatoes by Thanksgiving or Christmas. But in the colder regions of the country, then you're looking at uh, springtime, really mid-spring for planting potatoes. Right. Um, I think probably 
May is a good time to plant if you're in the Midwest or in colder regions. And again, it's all about soil temperature, too. So, cat, maybe all you need is a raised bed, a large container, and, and a soil thermometer to let you know when the right time to plant is. Soil thermometer is key because with the temperature that we've had in Sacramento the last several weeks, it's been in the in 80s and 90s, and you get the itch to plant. But the soil temperature might not be warm enough yet. So depending on if, if you're growing in raised beds, will warm up faster. If you're growing directly in the ground, it will take longer for it to warm up. Or if you're growing in large containers, it should warm up sooner. So 50 degrees is the magic number. 50, pretty much. Uh, for potatoes, I'd say optimum is maybe more like 60. But yeah, you can grow in 50. All right, Kat, I hope that helps you out in your potato planting mystery there. Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener. We're here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center where people can see, as they are today during the uh, open garden day here at the Fair Oaks Hort Center, everything that's going on, the planting preparation that's going on in the vegetable area. We've got the orchard. Uh, there's uh, the compost area. There's just so many aspects here to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center that is really a great place for people to come and learn all about gardening. And, of course, there's Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. That's a big gardening event here, and it is free. Gail, thanks so much for your uh, time and effort. My pleasure, Fred. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees, and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. Time for a quick tip. We're at Pam Bone's house here in Sacramento County. She has loads of fruit trees and flowering shrubs and a lawn. And Pam, I've noticed one thing that I notice how much you love fruit trees, but there are no fruit trees in the lawn. That's because fruit trees and lawns are not compatible at all. You need to keep your fruit trees away from the lawn. Actually, some of mine are fairly close. They're within five or six feet of it. But the crown of the tree is going to be high and dry and it's not going to get wet. They're going to have their own irrigation system as well, which is a drip irrigation system. And the lawn then can be watered a little bit more frequently and the fruit trees not as much. And of course, the lawn is going to compete for water and nutrients too with any fruit tree that's established in it. And so it's a good idea if if, if that's the only place you have, if that's the only sunny area you have is to give it a, a, a wide berth, have about a six foot wide diameter clearance between 
the existing lawn and the fruit tree, mulch around it out to six feet or so, so that the roots of the fruit tree have a chance to develop. And another reason for doing that is the mower blight. Uh, people use their string trimmers or their mowers uh, up next to landscape or fruit trees, either one, and unfortunately cause devastating damage to the tree. So I always say that if you have any kind of tree in your uh, uh, lawn area, that you definitely keep a good clear spot, like you said, putting mulch down or whatever uh, is really important. All right. Lawns versus fruit trees. Pam Bone, thanks for the quick tip. Thank you, Fred. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.